Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, This morning, we have a special message, as you know, a a Christmas message that's going to be focusing on the Lord. Now, I'm not the person who gets too terribly excited about the holidays, as you may know. I had a birthday a couple days ago, and uh, it was a day just like any other day. Um, the, the, so I, like, I just don't really care all that much. I don't know. I spent too much time caring when I was younger and I got burnt out or something. However, <coughs> Christmas, this time of year, uh, whether you celebrate it, go crazy for it or not, it is a good time to stop and ponder on what Christmas is about, who Christmas is about. It can be very easy to be stressed out this time of year. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things on our minds. Uh, going to see family and friends, getting gifts, etc. Uh, various themes of Christmas that people bring up, love, joy, peace, etc. But let's, let's stop and remember what's going on here. We're here to consider and acknowledge and remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why is this so important? Um, like I said, we often don't consider other births. Uh, we don't celebrate uh, all kinds of various people who have lived throughout time. Many people come and go. People live and die. The vast majority of them completely forgotten to history. So why is it that the world stops for a moment in this time of year to celebrate the birth of one who was born in a small backwater town called Bethlehem, uh, even smaller than Atlantic, probably only a couple hundred people living there, 2,000 years ago. Why is that so significant to remember the birth of Jesus? Well, when we consider the story of Jesus, we need to remember something important. The story of Jesus does not begin at Bethlehem. The story of Jesus does not begin with the angel's announcement to Mary that she will conceive and bear a child, though she is a virgin. The story of Jesus does not begin with the conception of John, of whom it was said he would be the forerunner to Jesus. It does not begin with God's promise to David, uh, a great ancestor of Jesus, the promise that he would have a descendant who would rule on the throne forever. The story of Jesus does not begin with Moses announcing that there would be a prophet like him who would come into the world. It doesn't begin with the announcement of Jacob that a scepter, a king, shall rise from the line of Judah. The story of Jesus does not begin with God telling Abraham that through his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the story of Jesus does not begin when God told the woman after mankind had rebelled and fallen into sin that her seed would one day arise and crush the head of the serpent. The story of Jesus does not begin. And that is the reality that we face when we turn to the gospel according to John and we read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things came into being through him 
and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The story of Jesus does not begin because Jesus, of who he is, Jesus is God, our creator, entered into human flesh. We see where the story begins for us in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. But when we look back to that beginning, we see that God is already there, existing from eternity into eternity. As Psalm 90 says, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When we come and consider Jesus, we are considering someone who has existed eternally, someone who is our creator. This is something that cannot be said of any other person in history. The reason we stop and ponder on the birth of our Lord Jesus is because this is the point where God enters into his creation, a creation that has fallen into sin, a creation that is separated from him, alienated from him. And he did this so that he would redeem us to us. It says uh, in John's gospel, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as had received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of, the blo- not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, the word who existed in the beginning with God, the word who himself is divine, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this happened that 2,000 years ago in that little town of Bethlehem. But why then? Why there? Why at that specific time in history? Why in that specific town? Why among that specific people? Why during the reign of the Roman Empire? Why at that time of all places? Well, Because the incarnation of our Lord, God entering into human history, is not something that God just did on a whim, but according to the ultimate plan of God. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Something that we see throughout scripture, is that it is all according to plan. It is all according to God's purpose. It is all according to God's divine timetable. And that is where we get into the next section. So I will open it up for Ned to come and uh, explain some of these things to us. Ned? I'll begin by reading a couple verses. Alex has uh, made reference to them already. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Write these down so if you ever uh, have a take, a take a course in Bible prophecy, you'll know where the verses are and you can uh, shine in the class. So uh, Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall, will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward ever, even forever. Uh, those are nice verses for uh, talking about prophecy and the prediction of Christ's coming. Uh, so what? Uh, it's good for a course in Bible prophecy. What, what does it mean to you? Let me give you a couple more verses that seem to be create a conflict. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 tells us this. This is speaking to Christians in Ephesians. It says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Okay, does that mean that uh, one day everybody's going to end up in heaven and say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I didn't expect to be here. But there's a little uh, problem. John 3 and ver verse 18 says, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. So there's a conflict set up in all that. And so I'm going to take a sharp left turn here. And I'm going to talk about what I call a cosmic day planner. There is a day planner set up from before time, beyond time. And it's got appointments in it. Appointments with Jesus. And there are several people that had appointments with Jesus. This day planner, it's not one that Jesus carried around with him. But every appointment that was uh, in it, as it, that is in it, and will be in it, no cancellations, no rescheduling, those appointments will be kept. They were kept, and they will be kept. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, I think we've already heard a little bit, bit about this in John chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to every man. Here's an example of uh, an appointment. John chapter 1, verses 47 to 49. It's, a, it's about Nathaniel. Uh, and he's uh, been told about Jesus, and he's curious about Jesus. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to, toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. His response, 
Nathanael answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Nathanael didn't know he had this appointment coming. Jesus did. And Nathanael's response was immediate. Uh, he knew everything he needed to know. He said, you are, basically saying, you are the Messiah, you're the King of Israel. Here's another appointment Jesus uh, had. John chapter 4, very familiar passage. Uh, and I'll just read a few verses here. John chapter 4, uh, start with verse 4. Get my glasses adjusted here. It says here, just before the passage about the Samaritan woman, it says, but he, he was Jesus was traveling, uh, leaving, leaving Judea, going to Galilee, and it said, but he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? There were several ways of getting to Gal from Galilee to Judea or vice versa. But it says he needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment. An appointment that must be kept and that would be kept by this woman. Uh, a well-known woman in the town. But... Uh, on her part, she might have had a, on her refrigerator at home, she probably had a, had a something stuck on the refrigerator that had the, a list of things to do for the day. One of them was go get water. She thought she was just going out to get water. But what was Jesus' plan for that appointment? He had, had that appointment was, as it says in Ephesians, chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus had that block of time set out in his day planner to meet this woman at the well. And so he came. And what did he do? He introduced himself and offered her living water. You know the song? Some of you do. Jesus gave her water that was not from a well, gave her living water and sent her forth to tell. She went away singing and came back bringing others for the water that was not from the well. You'll find that Jesus' appointments were always about introducing himself to people and offering them eternal life. Here's another appointment Jesus kept. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 5. And I, I, rather than read too many verses, I'll just give you the story. It's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. Well known in the town, but not well liked. And he's got a few minutes at the end of the day, and he's heard about Jesus, and he, he's, got, he's curious. He wants to know something about him. So he runs ahead of uh, where he knows Jesus is going to be. He's going to climb up in a tree and... Uh, Satisfy his curiosity. But Jesus, in his day planner, has Zacchaeus' name written down for a certain time on a certain day. And so he comes along and he sees him up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, how does he know his name? Well, Jesus is God. He's um, all-knowing. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. What was the purpose? 
to introduce himself to Zacchaeus and to offer him eternal life. A couple others. Now these, these are post-resurrection uh, visitations. This is the story of Saul. You know, Saul, he was, uh, he thought he had a day of travel. He had appointments, but they were in Damascus. Uh, he was looking forward to those because he was, he was about God's business. He was going to gather up a bunch of these Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem for, to be punished. Jesus Day Planner has Saul's name in there, and it says, meet him on the road to Damascus. Saul thought he was simply traveling to Damascus, doing the bidding of the Jewish leadership. But what Saul had was an appointment with Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He introduced himself, and he offered Saul eternal life and a mission. And you know the rest of the story about Saul. He became Paul, and he did fulfill the mission that was given him. Give you one more. Summer of 1972. Guy closes down the station where he was working. Uh, late at night, crosses the field to his apartment uh, on Clark Street in Clive, Iowa. Had to walk home because his wife had the car. Uh, so that's what, you ha what happens if you only have one car. <laughs> and the plan was to just get home, unwind a little bit, maybe a snack, watch a little bit of Johnny Carson, get some sleep. Jesus Day Planner says, meet Mill at his apartment. I've talked to him before, but the circumstances are right, the timing is right. I'm going to offer him salvation one more time. And here I am. As you celebrate Christmas this year, think back. For those of you who know Christ as Savior, think back the day you kept the appointment that Jesus had set up to meet with you, to introduce himself, to offer you salvation. If you're here without Christ as Savior, your name is in that day planner. I don't know what day it is. You may have already had an appointment and ask for a, a postponement or a reschedule. That won't work. Sooner or later, as it says in Hebrews, 
as is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, so also Christ offered himself once. See, we have an appointment with death, all of us, physical death in this world. Jesus had an appointment with death, too, completely different than our appointment. His appointment with death, with death was to go and conquer, to conquer death and offer eternal life. And I don't know if I've wasted all the time, <laughs> but I think, uh, Grant, are you next? All right. My uh, portion of this message is uh, I'm going to be talking about the event of the birth. And so we'll start right in. Uh, there's basically two passages that I always uh, refer to as when I think of the Lord Jesus' uh, birth. And, and one is in uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I thought, what a... What a message to get. Wouldn't that be something to, to, uh, to realize uh, what the plan was for Lord Jesus? You know, his life purpose was revealed right there. For he will save his people from their sins. What does Jesus, the name Jesus mean? It, it means Jehovah the Savior. You know, his whole purpose was salvation. Verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is, this is Isaiah. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. And it's interesting, on a side note, you know, Emmanuel, we don't see Emmanuel, that name used anywhere um, else in the Bible, and, and we don't hear of it spoken of very much even nowadays, but uh, I, I believe uh, there's a day in the future where the name Emmanuel will be, will be used quite frequently for the name of Jesus. But it means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. You know, one of the things that, that, that I love about this God with us is that, that God loves us uh, enough to come down to this earth. You know, he, he left heaven's glory and he came down to this earth to be with us. I, I think often of, you know, when we talk to a, to a little child and a lot of times, you know, when you're, you know, standing way above them and you're, and you're talking way down here to, to somebody, somebody little, they, they don't really get 
what's going on. They don't really understand the whole message. But if you get right down on their level, you stoop down and you get right down there face to face with them, they really understand a lot better what's going on, you know? And I think of that, that's the way God did with us. He had to get down at our level. He had to, had to come down to this earth and, and speak to us and show, demonstrate his love to us. You know, Jesus was God in the flesh. He, he came, he became just like us. He took on uh, humanity so that, so that we could be saved, so that we could know salvation and we could know his love. Also, I think of um, another portion of scripture that talks about the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way uh, to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That's, I always am impressed at that, you know. The, the king of glory, the, the son of God, the, the highest being in the world, the universe, came and was, was born in a barn, you know, and was laid in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You know, I often have thought, you know, why, why did this angel come to, these, to the shepherds? You know, he, he could have come to, uh, you know, some really important people, you know, some, some really high-ranking, you know, some, I don't know, some lawyers or some Pharisees or Sadducees or, you know, some, some really, you know, religious people of the time. But, but what did he come to? Who was that announcement made to? Shepherds. And you think about that, and you think of who shepherds were, what their, what their occupation was, what does a shepherd do? And I was thinking about shepherds. You know, they're hands-on. They, they're constantly watchful over the flock. They're nurturers. They're providers. They're protectors. And they're rescuers. You know, that's what Jesus is for us. That's what he came to this earth to do for us. And so it's so fitting that, that there would be shepherds would be the, the first ones to hear about this Jesus. And I, I, I love this fact that it says that... Uh, 
with this angel, there appeared a, a multiple of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. You know, what an experience that had to have been for these shepherds to, to all of a sudden see all this and hear all this. It, it, was, it had to be just total shock and awe, you know. I mean, that had just been like the coolest thing to see. And, and so what they do, you know, they said, uh, when angels had gone away from them uh, into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which has been told about them, about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. You know, the, the angel you know, told them this was going to happen, and the angel told them where this baby was and, and to, to go see this baby, and, and sure enough, it was just exactly how the angel told them it would be. And what a, uh, what a neat thing to, to see that. You know, you, you don't think of, you know, you don't see a baby uh, laying in a manger very often, you know. And, and you think of that manger, and you think of a barn. You know, if, and I know, you know, most of you people are agricultural related. Uh, you know what a barn smells like. You've been to a barn. Uh, it's not the prettiest and the cleanest place in the world, you know. And I, I think often about the, uh, the birth nowadays. You know, a lot of times, you know, people go in and have their babies and stuff, and it's a pretty sterile environment, you know. The, the doctors and nurses and everything, they're, they're pretty worried about keeping everything clean, and, and uh, they, they receive pretty royal treatment. But I think, you know, Jesus, being royal, received just a very, very lowly treatment, you know, because he came to this earth not to, uh, you know, worry about the people who didn't need a physician. He came to, to rescue us, to provide salvation for anybody who put their faith in him. Next is Doug, and why Christus, Christmas matters. You know, I'm often amazed. I shouldn't be by this point. We, we as uh, leadership, you know, we, we put these together and you might think that, one might think that we actually get together and confer with one another what we're going to talk about. That would be a wrong assumption. And yet, the things that come up, Ned used the word conflict spoke often of, uh, spoke much about the appointment that we have with Jesus. This morning I want to turn to uh, consider, as a part of my message, it's uh, 520 in the uh, Blue Hymnal. John Young made mention of it this morning during the first hour, and I was afraid I was going to have to tackle him before he... Uh, stole what I was going to say. Fortunately, he didn't, but he gave me some other things to think about. 
Charles Wesley penned this hymn, and it's a very favorite uh, hymn uh, around this time, Christmas time. And I looked it up. I was curious about the original wording because I've seen some slight variations in wordings. And I found that uh, uh, when I looked it up, we have four verses, and most hymnals have four verses of this song, but I found five verses. And what is our fourth verse is a matchup of the uh, fourth and fifth verse from Charles Wesley. Now, I don't know if it was Charles Wesley or George Whitfield's polishing of, of uh, Wesley's hymn. Uh, so thanks for ruining that for me, John. But, uh, Ned used the word conflict, and I'm using a word this morning, confrontation. Why does Christmas matter? Christmas, I will submit to you this morning, and we don't often think about it, and I didn't either until I heard somebody else uh, uh, use this, so this, the use of this word is not original to me. It's about confrontation. Listen to the verses, the fourth and the fifth verses of uh, uh, Wesley's hymn, the original, at least as I found it. Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the serpent's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. So far, it matches up with what we have in our fourth verse, doesn't it? But then he goes on, now display thy saving power. Ruined nature now restore, now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. And then the fifth verse, Adam's likeness, Lord efface, stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost regain, thee the life, the inner man, owe to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. It's very confrontational language, isn't it? Ned already made mention of Genesis 3 and verse 15. And Charles Wesley makes mention of it here. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. I think Charles Wesley had it right here. If we go back to Genesis 3.15, we see that there is a problem with us. The problem is our rebellion. And where did that rebellion come from? In Genesis 3, we read, and, and in, the, in the earlier portions of Genesis, we read that, that man was made, man and woman were made in the image of God. And yet, what happened? The serpent came, deceived Eve. She ate from the fruit, gave it to her husband who was with her. He ate. And the Lord comes calling. Talk about a, a, an appointment in the Cosmic Day Planner. The Lord called out, where are you? And the response, of course, if you know the story, Adam calls out because they had hidden them themselves, trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. He said, we were naked and we hid. 
when they ask who told you, when he asks who told you that you were naked, of course, Adam's response is, it's not my fault, Lord. It's the woman who, by the way, you gave me. Uh, so if you want to blame anybody, Lord, blame yourself here. She goes to, he goes to the woman and says, okay, why have you done this thing? And she says, it's not my fault. The serpent deceived me. And when he turns to the serpent and says, because you have done this thing, cursed are you above all creatures. And he says, I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. He shall bruise you on the head, but you shall strike him on the heel. That's confrontation. Why does Christmas matter? Because there's something wrong with us. Not because we are so lovely and beautiful. Now, we often read, and it's in the scriptures, when the angels come, and, and Grant read that portion, and when the, all the angels appeared and said to the shepherds, good will towards men, peace on earth and good will towards men, with whom the Lord is pleased. Now, that makes us sound like we're just lovely. The Lord is just happy with us and happy to be with us. As I studied that out, and I'm kind of going off my notes here, but going from things that I had originally planned on saying, a better rendering of that, and some, some translation actually do render it this way, peace among men, among whom the Lord has shown his favor. That's grace. See, Jesus didn't come because there is something good in us he came because there is something wrong in us see the problem is is that our God is a holy God in Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6 as Isaiah had the vision of the Lord in the temple and he sees the seraphim who are calling out to one another in Isaiah 6 and verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the Hebrew, if you know anything about the, the way that the Hebrews would put it, they don't have exclamations. They don't say, oh, he is very holy. He is, you know, is, he is holy, holy, holy. If you're talking about a, a big pit, you would call it a pit pit. Among pits, this one is a pit. You sometimes refer to a man of high character as, as a man among men or, or a man's man. Heather just says Doug, but um, <laughs> the proclamation of the seraphim is to say that among that which is regarded as holy, Yahweh is holy. And among the holiest of the holy, Yahweh is holy. And Isaiah's response to this vision, there's something wrong with me. Woe is me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Similarly, when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, the Lord responded to him in Exodus 33, verses 19 and 20, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. 
And then in verse 23 of Exodus 33, he added, you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Why? Because there is something wrong with us. Now, the church that I grew up in was a church in which I never heard the word gospel. I never heard about salvation. You know, one Christmas several years ago, Heather and I and the kids attended the Christmas Eve service, and in the message that the pastor gave that Christmas Eve, she said that Christmas is just the story that gives us meaning. And we have to find our own story that gives us meaning. I would submit that if Christmas is just about a baby in a manger, then she's right. That Christmas is just a beautiful story about God's love for us and how special we are. And doesn't that just fill us with love for our fellow human beings? But I'm going to go back and remind us that Christmas is about confrontation. Remember the words of Charles Wesley, rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. And again, Adam's likeness, Lord of face, that means erase, diminish. And in place, stamp thine image in its place. See, before God created anything, he knew the choice of our first parents that that choice would be rebellion. And that rebellious nature has been handed down to us. God's plan from eternity past was for his son to come to earth, not to be a good moral teacher, although he is, he was, not to be my example as a sinless human being, although he is. God's plan from eternity past was a reconciliation of man with God. Colossians 2, Paul, Paul wrote, And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having graciously forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He also has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And again in Romans 5 and verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And Christmas is about confrontation because it points ultimately to the cross where Jesus Christ confronted the last enemy. For by his righteousness he conquered sin and through his death he conquered death. And to again go back to Charles Wesley, now display thy saving power. Ruin nature now restore. Now in mystic union join. Now thine to ours and ours to thine. Peter wrote in Second Peter chapter 1. He said, for by these, speaking of his, the Lord's own glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And again, going back to Charles Wesley, second Adam from above, 
reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain thee the life, the inner man. O to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. Christmas is about confrontation through which the Lord brings about reconciliation through the death of his son. Father, we thank you for this time of year of Christmas where we do pause and remember. We cannot even fathom what it is, what it was. Very God of very God to come in human form, to come as that babe in a manger, helpless, needing to be cared for by the creature he created. And we are amazed further still that that humility led to the point of death, even death on the cross. We thank you that Christmas is not just about the babe in a manger. We thank you that Christmas is about God come in the flesh to confront sin in us, to confront the final enemy, to defeat Satan through his own death. May we remember that, especially during this time of year, but throughout our years, throughout our days, who Jesus is, why he came. And may that inform how we live our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.